Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon. I'm Glennis McClure, Extension Educator and Farm and Ranch Management Analyst in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Thanks for joining us today. Presenting with us today is Tina Barrett, a farm financial consultant and the director of the Nebraska Farm Business Incorporated, which provides financial analysis, business planning, and tax services to over 400 farm and ranch businesses across the state. Tina also teaches the Ag Economics 301 course in the department titled Farm Income, Farm Income Tax, Analysis, and Accounting. So aside from staying busy with her NFBI clients, she has many students that she's currently working with. Today, Tina will be reviewing the current financial positions of farms included in the Nebraska Farm Business's annual farm averages report, looking at net income, cost of production, debt, and net worth, and what these numbers reveal about the variability among operations and outlook going forward. Tina, thanks for being here with us, and I'll turn it over to you. Sounds good. All right, we'll, we'll get started here. Um, like Glenna said, you know, we um, at Nebraska Farm Business do a full service um, accounting work, but the thing that we do a little different is that financial analysis piece. And so I just wanted to tell you about that only so that you understand where the information that I'm coming, that I'm going to talk about today is coming from. So um, that financial analysis is an, is an individual service we provide to farms and ranches all across Nebraska that gives them a look at their accrual net farm income, uh, the 21 financial ratios, cost of production information, um, you know, all those kinds of, uh, all the numbers we're going to talk about, they get that on an individual basis. Then we take that information and average it together. Uh, we give that to those producers so that they can benchmark their operation we also use that for this sort of information where we can uh, really kind of gauge and see where things are going, how the financial state of Nebraska farms and ranches are. Um, and there's lots of ways we can slice that information and, and look at it in different ways. Um, so I, I've tried to, to pull together one things that I think are pertinent, um, but, uh, but there's lots of information and, and different ways we could, we could go. So um, let's start talking about just income itself. Uh, so this is the 10-year the net farm income trend. Again, remember that everything we, we're going to look at here is on an accrual basis. And so if you're not familiar with that, uh, I've been teaching this subject, so you know, I, I got to go back and review, right? Um, but um, we're talking about uh, cash being things that, you know, what basically what came in and out of the checking account, that's what we think about most of the time for taxable income, because most farm tax returns are filed on a cash basis. 
but accrual is really looking more about the production year. So it's like, it's easier sometimes to think in terms of, um, of a crop operation where you might pay for 2020s, some of their expenses in 2019. You've had some expenses in 2020, plus maybe you sold 2019 grain and you're carrying your 2020 grain into 21. What we're trying to do with accrual is wash out all of that stuff and put 2020s a year all back in the same spot so that we're looking at what that cost for that one production cycle was. Um, and so that's really what we're trying to do. So this is all on a accrual basis. Um, but you can see, again, no surprise that we had that downward trend. But what's what's really maybe hopeful is we're seeing that continual uptrend since 2015. Um, you know, that's been a nice um, uh, thing to see after things got, got really uh, rough. But what's really important um, to understand in this is how much variability there is in this net farm income. So again, I've in the past looked at different types of income. We're going to look at a, a lot of different ways, but the first one is going to be looking at profitability levels. So one of the things when we put our averages together, we look at the high profit third and the low profit third. So um, that green line on top is the average of the high profit third and the blue line on the bottom is the low profit third. So you can see we really see um, fairly steady trends within them. Um, in a good, in a great year like 2012, we're going to see um, a little bit more uh, stretch in that. Um, and it's also important to remember that these are not necessarily the same farms that's always included in the high third. That's the high third each year. So it wouldn't be uncommon for um, some beef uh, farms, especially like a feedlot in 2014, to be in that uh, high profit third. And then by 2016, be included in the low profit third because we saw a lot of profitability switch um, in that time for that industry. So each year here, again, stands alone, but we see each year um, a, a third of our producers doing very well, a third of our producers um, you know, kind of struggling. Um, one thing I wanted to focus on, this is just the last three years, but this is something that I think we're gonna see continue to expand in 2020. And that's that divide between that top and bottom third. Um, so you can see that over the last three years, the high profit third has been trending higher while the low profit third has been trending lower and our average hasn't changed very much. Um, and so I think um, we'll see that again in 2020 where we'll see that divide continue to expand. Um, and we'll look at that again on a per acre basis. Um, Again, we can slice and dice the same information a hundred different ways. So I wanted to give you a couple different things. Uh, one of these is a percentile ranking. So this, when we look at an individual farm and we're trying to benchmark them, um, one of the things we might look at is where they fall in a percentile. So this is uh, the average net income for each, the 10th percentile, the lowest 10th percentile, then the next 10th percentile. So if your income was 50,000, you would fall somewhere in the 40 to 50%. Uh, so in other words, about half the farms are doing better than that and about half the farms are doing worse than that. Uh, so that but again, that's a little different than average where our average is sitting close to 100,000. Um, I also have, so I have a Nebraska line and I have a Finbin line. So one thing that happens um, uh, that, or that's available for, for use in doing some of this benchmarking on your own is the FinBin database. So if you just Google FinBin, you'll find it. 
Um, it's part of the University of Minnesota's website. Um, so you'll find that. That's a, um, there's about 3,000 farms included in that database uh, so that you can sort ag again so that you can find maybe operations that have similar debt to asset ratios, uh, maybe similar um, cropping styles, those kinds of things. Um, but one of the things I like to look at because our database is smaller um, is to see how that compares to that larger database. And so you can see that um, we have a little bit more um, on the, a larger loss on the bottom, um, but the other things start to line up pretty consistently with that larger database. One of the things uh, that I wanted to look at then to see if I could understand why was to look at that by gross income. So I sorted the farms by their size. So that first column is those that gross less than 100,000. Okay, and again, uh, not a huge difference because we don't have a lot of dollars there. Um, so we don't see that very much. But when we get over to that uh, large operation that's grossing more than 2 million, our average is showing a, a significant drop there where the FinBin average is um, showing that a higher income in that category. Um, and so again, uh, it's important to understand what we're benchmarking to, what that data set includes. Um, and so I also sorted this by type and I didn't put these all on the screen at the same time because it gets to be a lot of numbers to look at. But another way we can sort the data is by type of operation. You can see that we have some um, where we don't have enough in the data set to, to provide that information and still protect the um, information of the individual producers. So that's where you're gonna see the NAs. But one of the things that I thought of when I saw that loss in that $2 million category was our beef operations and especially our feedlots that uh, you know, have really been struggling the last couple of years. And I think this uh, division helps us see that in Nebraska, that beef is where we're really seeing those losses where if we're getting into the larger data sets, those, those dairy and hog operations are gonna be in that larger group and have that profitability that we're not seeing in Nebraska, uh, just because we don't have as many of those operations as we do beef operations. So um, again, lots of ways to look at this information more so than just average, um, but we wanted to be able to, to look at those and really dissect that information. I think these are good lessons. Anytime you're benchmarking your operation is that you need to understand how the data that you're putting together or that you're comparing to is put together and how your data is put together. Um, for example, um, our software uses um, the cost of feeder livestock purchase as an expense. If you're using that as a negative income, your net income ratio is going to be different. Okay, so, um, so again, just things when you're benchmarking to be, to be aware of. Okay, so we know net farm income is very variable. What's causing that? We can see that some of that is industry-wide, but even within industries, we're seeing a lot of variability. So I wanted to take a look at cost of production. And I, I'm gonna look at corn and soybeans. Obviously there's a lot of other industries in Nebraska, but those hit the widest um, number and we have the most data to, to support that. So we have been looking at net farm income from a whole farm standpoint. Now we're gonna look at this from an accrual or from a per acre standpoint. So now for the next few slides, everything we're gonna look at is per acre. Um, and these farms, as we look into the high profit and low profit third, there might be different. So just because they were in the high profit third in the whole farm, each individual enterprise here is measured so that the highest profit um, of those third, third that, can, that had irrigated corn would be included in that. So just so everyone understands. 
here's the trend line for that, uh, for irrigated corn. Again, this is um, all farms. So what we've said, or what that means, all tenure type means is I've got owned acres, cash rented acres, share rented acres, bushel rented acres, everything thrown together. So some of the numbers um, look a little bit, um, you know, hard to see because sometimes the landlord's paying for a part of those inputs. Uh, some of those acres have zero cash rent because they're shared or owned. Exactly. So we'll look at uh, a couple different ways to look at that. But uh, you can look at our trend. And we saw obviously lots of nice margin and profitability 2010, 2013. Um, and then we saw some very tight margins. 2019 did show a little profit. And so again, a little bit encouraging. Um, but if we dig a little bit further past the, um, uh, the average, we can look at um, the per acre stuff. So what I've got on the slide, again, it's a lot of information and I apologize for, but I, I only deal with numbers. So we get a lot of numbers. Um, so I put some, I pulled some pieces out of our average book um, and you can take a peek at that. Um, yield really wasn't significantly different. I mean, a seven bushel yield is, is gonna cause some differences, but uh, it wasn't, it's not hugely different to cause uh, the net income differences that we're seeing at the bottom. Um, I'm wanting to double check something here quick for you. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay, so this is all tenure type still. Um, we can look through here, the marketing price, that's a cash marketing price. Um, so a little bit better on the high profit third. Um, but one of the things we, uh, we can add in there is that hedging gain or, pro or loss would be on that third line. And it's lumped in with crop insurance just because I don't have enough lines on the slide. Um, but to give you an idea on that high profit third, there's about $5 of that was due to hedging and about uh, $39 due to crop insurance. Um, and that'll be an important thing as we look a little bit deeper, uh, deeper into some of these uh, direct expenses. Cause really when I look at this, that's the line that kind of pops out to me as something that we need to take a look at. Cause oh, um, overhead's pretty equal. The ARC and PLC payments, not a whole lot different. Uh, there's a little bit of a difference in labor and management, but. And uh, nothing compared to that $160 an acre difference in direct expenses between the high profit third and the low profit third. All right, so uh, I wanted to pull in here. And um, so just to, again, I hate to switch up on you, but I switched to some, I wanted to look at these things on a cash rented basis so that we could compare them more um, accurately than in that all tenure type because of how some of those expenses come through kind of funky. So just so you know, we switched to an, a cash rented uh, scenario. So we narrowed that focus down a little bit. Um, but uh, when I look at seed and fertilizer, um, it's actually kind of interesting that uh, the high profit third spend a little bit more on fertilizer, but set, spent significantly less on, or a little bit less on seed. Um, between the two, I just added them together, kind of to fish out those two uh, input items and that ends up being a, about a 15 or 14.55 savings for the, or that the top efficient spent less than the, than the low, not top efficient, but the top third. Um, other things that have some significant differences, again, crop insurance, the top third uh, spent $5 an acre more, which might explain why that crop insurance income up above was higher if they bought up in coverage um, we got a little bit more in that income. So maybe it was a, a strategic decision there. Um, irrigation is the opposite. Again, lots of $5 differences here and there. Um, 
labor and machinery. We're going to dig a deeper into this one, so hold tight on that one. Um, and then I also highlighted that land rent. Uh, again, that's 50 bucks an acre for land rent. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that too. And that's a tough one in Nebraska necessarily to always look at just because we have such variability in our farm ground and, and the quality of that ground and the yield potential in that ground that um, sometimes just comparing cash rent um, from one area to the next doesn't make sense either. So we'll keep that in mind. Um, so let's look a little bit deeper at that machinery cost. So what we like to do on our averages is lump those machinery costs per acre because we have so many people who um, structure their operation differently or maybe use uh, some more custom hire or lease equipment. Um, so it's hard to compare depreciation for an operation that owns all their equipment with an operation that leases all their equipment. So we put all this stuff together so we can look at that total machine cost per acre. Um, but again, we're talking about, about $35 an acre. Um, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that is, but the biggest in there is machinery depreciation and intermediate interest, which might uh, lead us to a place where uh, we are, have too much equipment, um, more than what we need to operate on that. Maybe it's newer equipment than what we need. I also thought it was interesting that, that the uh, low profit is not only spending more in depreciation and in acquisition cost, but they're also spending $20 an acre more on repairs because you'd think that there would be a trade-off on that. Um, so again, um, I wish I could dig into to every one operation and tell you exactly what was going on there, but these are the trends that we're seeing. I'm going to pull up this uh, summary again just because I want to highlight um, that net, net return on the end. You know, there wasn't anything huge. I mean, the yes, cash rent was a big one. Machinery cost is, is pretty big, but we're talking about um, the difference between losing $80 an acre and making $180 an acre. That's, um, you know, that's a significant difference in net return um, that really goes to point to the fact that um, while we talk about an average of making $44 an acre, remember that really nobody's average. Um, and we've got this widespread variability in all these operations um, between those that are, are doing well and, and those that are not. And I, I've, I've said it before, so if you've heard me speak otherwise, I, I sometimes I'll say that uh, a lot of producers feel like they're in the same boat and, and as long as they're in the same position as everybody else, they feel pretty good. But the reality is from what I can see is that uh, it's not even a matter of everybody being in the same boat, but not everybody's even in the same lake, right? Well, there's a lot of difference uh, when we move from one operation to the next. And it's not just um, one region of Nebraska to another. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I get to work with neighbors and brothers and see those significant differences across the road and in the decisions that they're making. Um, it's a time when I would love to be able to sit down and say, um, well, you need to see what your brother can do or what your neighbor can do. But of course that's information I won't share. Um, uh, but, uh, but I can see that and it, and it comes out in these averages. Okay. Um, just another kind of history um, lesson for you. 2013 still remains the highest cost per acre that we've seen um, in our costs. We've seen those costs come down. Actually, they came down a little bit more and they're creeping back up. Um, so in 2019, we were sitting right about that uh, $850 an acre. Um, still nothing compared to 2009, which I, I leave on there uh, because that was about the first time we saw that $354 corn. 
Um, and as, as prices, excuse me, and costs started going up. Uh, so we can still see we're still quite a ways off from where we were prior to those income increases. So I said we'd talk about cash rent a little bit more. Um, and again, this was a, a slide that I developed because again, I knew that cost of production was so variable among operations. And so let me explain it a little bit to you. I, I laid this against cash rent because I needed another variable. And we often think about cash rent as the difference between profitability and not. Um, so on the, the left side is cash rents. And on the bottom is the cost of production, including labor and management. Um, and so you can see that there's a lot of variability on there. And so even if we ignore pretty much everything under $3 and everything maybe over like $460 uh, as outliers of things, weird things that are happening, um, we can still see that even between $3 and $450, we have a lot of variability in those cost production because each one of those dots represents an operation. Um, and so we've even, and it's not even a matter of, I kind of thought maybe as we saw cost or cash rent go up, we would see cost of production go up. Um, but even if we look around that $300 cash rent line, we still have producers who are producing $3 a bushel cash rent or a cost of production, as well as getting up into that 450 range. So the cash rent isn't necessarily the only um, the deciding factor. These are 2019's dots. Let me make it really pretty and colorful because that now I just wanted to show you that this isn't something unique to 2019. This is five years worth of dots um, that you can see that each color spread all over in that area. And uh, we've seen uh, those more blue dots towards the top. So we've seen a little bit of cash rent come down, but you can see in 2019, we still have a lot of 300 um, plus cash rents out there. On the same side, we still have 150 acre or dollar per acre cash rents. Um, and again, that's a tough thing to nail down in Nebraska just because of the uh, wide variability that we see. So um, again, just not everybody in the same boat. Everybody, we've got lots of variability among operations. If we take a quick peek at soybeans, um, we saw again that nice margin during those early 2010 to 2013 frames. Um, and we've seen it kind of soybeans just bounce around. We did see profitability again last year. Um, we saw those, it's nice to see the expenses coming down as well as, well as income that it's not just a matter of those MFP payments the last two years that have um, kept soybeans in that profitable range. Um, if we look at the detail again, breaking that down in the high profit third and the low profit third, still seeing direct costs as a significant difference. Um, we're only seeing yield difference between 65 bushels and 67 bushels. And really when we put in the decimals, we're talking a bushel and a half. Uh, a and maybe a little bit more on the marketing side. Um, again, just to give you the breakdown on that high profit third hedging and crop insurance, the hedging was about $13 an acre and the crop insurance was about $31 an acre. Um, so, you know, everything else kind of coming through, we are seeing a little bit bigger difference in the overhead in soybeans than we saw in corn, um, but, uh, but most of those averaging out. Um, so if we take a deep dive into those direct costs. Again, this is just a, a screenshot of our average books. Um, I did some math for you there and adding those seed fertilizer and chemicals again. The low third for those was about $248 an acre. Um, or on the high side was 164. 64. That's $83 an acre difference in three costs. 
with an average yield of 65 bushels, that changes the cost of production by $1.29. Okay. That's significant with three input decisions. Um, and if we look at 850 beans, that means I need to raise another 10 bushels to the acre almost in order to cover those costs. Okay, so because that's the flip side, we're spending more on seed fertilizer and chemicals and increase that yield. I need to see 10 bushels per acre in order to just recap that extra cost, um, even if that just breaks even. Okay. I also have machinery costs highlighted here, um, only looking like $25 an acre there. Um, and again, the land rent's looking significant, staying consistent with that $50 an acre. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a pretty similar story to the corn, other than we saw a little bit bigger difference on those inputs. Um, when I look at the cost of production, uh, so that same slide, just soybeans, uh, still seeing that variability. Um, and uh, we still see that uh, wide range again. Uh, for the five years, no difference um, than those corn numbers. Um, from a, a uh, profitability standpoint, this is a different slide, so I, I should have used a different color to, to differentiate that a little bit. But one of the things we are seeing with soybeans is a, is a difference in region. And so one of the, we also will uh, dissect our information down by region. I don't have the Western region on here because there's not enough soybeans grown out there to make a difference. But um, one of the things I notice when I'm in the South Central area is soybeans is just a, as a, as a much less profitable crop than, the, than corn. But when I go South and East of Lincoln, um, I see that as a flip side, right? So, and I, so I just wanted to pull this out and show that, that this is one crop. And I did go dry land here because in, again, in Southeast Nebraska, we don't have enough irrigated information um, to put that. So this is dry land numbers now instead of irrigated. But we do see a difference in the region, especially in soybeans. And I thought that was um, worth pointing out. So um, let's keep rolling here. And we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about net worth and family living. And it might seem strange to you that those two things come together. But the reality is the more you know, net worth is calculated basically um, when uh, you make more than you spend. right? And so that's why family living becomes into that conversation when we talk about net worth. Okay, this is family living trend. So the dark blue is family living, that's um, cash spending. And then the, the light blue would be taxes. This time I'm talking about income and social security taxes. So real estate, personal property taxes are not included. Those are in the farm side, okay? So this is just income and social security taxes. The family living would be, um, again, like I said, out-of-pocket expenses. So uh, medical, health insurance, uh, food, charitable donations, um, education costs, um, interest on a personal residence, but it wouldn't include principal payments on, on a house or a vehicle, anything like that. Um, so it's just those costs, those out-of-pocket living. It also does not include uh, retirement account contributions or anything that, uh, that would be savings related. Okay, so you can see we've actually been fairly consistent. Uh, 2016 got me excited that we were, we were holding family living costs down. Um, but came right back up. So really, essentially, since 2012, that out-of-pocket family living cost runs about $100,000. Um, and that seems like a crazy number, but I also think it's important that we take a step back and think that if you were to go out and get a job to cover that, you don't need a $100,000 job. Because 
when you take, these are after tax dollars, right? So uh, by the time I take out some taxes, um, put a little aside for principal payments on a house or a vehicle, uh, put a little bit into retirement, like it would be a typical and with a, a wage um, off the farm, uh, you really need like $160,000 a year job in order to live on a hundred. Okay, so just for comparison purposes. Um, just like uh, the farm side of things, uh, the family living side is not one size fits all. Okay, so I tried to put together a little distribution thing. That red line is the average that we just saw. So this is just family living, doesn't include taxes. Um, and, but what I've done is divided out those, the percentage of farms that spent less than 50 are in the dark blue, 50 to 100 are in the light blue, and then that kind of light green is 100 to 200, and then the green is the farms that are spending more than $200,000 a year um, in that category. And so you can see we've seen a little bit of that adjustment. Really that line between the blue and the light green doesn't shift too much. Most of our, our operations are spending less than 100 um, and about a third of the operations are spending more than that. But you can see in any given year, we have operations spending more than 200,000 on those cash out-of-pocket expenses. So uh, again, certainly not, um, not, unheard of that this is causing an issue. It's just not an issue for all farms. So we gotta have to pay attention to that. So what issue is this causing? This is the net worth change trend. Um, and this line goes way back. Um, and this is the trend, this is the change. This isn't the net worth trend. This is the change trend. So how much net worth was added or subtracted in each of these go, uh, given years? Certainly see a large um, changes in 2011, 2012. Um, see, we still have only had one or two years on this with counting 2002, uh, but 2015 is the only recent year where we've actually seen an average net worth loss. Again, we could dissect this down and look at the number of operations that have a net worth loss because there's, there would be significant. Um, but again, we're just trying to uh, get a trend for where in general operations are at. So let's look at the other side of net worth and talk about debt for just a second. Um, I'm gonna talk about a couple of ratios just in case um, all of you have forgotten your basic ag econ uh, coursework. We're gonna talk about working capital gross revenue, which uh, wasn't a, a, a ratio when uh, I took those early classes anyway. So, but we're talking about working capital divided by gross revenues. And, and so working capital is current assets minus current debts or that, that reserve that you have of what you're gonna sell in the next 12 months and what you have to pay in the next 12 months. So we like to divide that by gross revenue just to kind of give an idea of where multiple operations are at. Um, because uh, you know, $100,000 of gross of working capital would be great for a farm that's grossing 200,000, but it's not enough for a farm that's grossing 2 million. So by dividing it by gross revenues, it gives us that ability to um, compare operations. And so the standards, uh, we're going to see some different numbers. You might see that 30% was where the green would start, might see 33%. There are even some experts who will say that when things are good, that could be as low as 25%. And when things are tough, that needs to be higher, maybe 35%. So again, you might see a little bit of, of uh, disagreement in that, but the higher that number is, the better uh, the ratio. This is our trend um, for working capital gross revenue. And I put that goal line right there at 30%. Okay, so um, you can see that's kind of where those years from 2007 to 2014, our average was, a, was in the green. 
uh, and you can see how quickly that fell off um, as soon as we came off of 2012 and quickly saw a decline. Uh, we didn't see as big of a decline in 2019, so that's positive, but still didn't see, we saw uh, worse numbers instead of an improvement there. Like always, uh, the average only tells us so much. So I'd like to dig into this one um, and, and look at this. So I, I created a pie chart and I have a red, two red categories. So basically I have a bad and a really bad. Um, those in that dark red um, had negative working capital. That's about 31% of the farms that we work with. So let me just repeat that. So January 1st, 2020, almost a third of the farms that we work with had negative working capital. They did not have enough grain and cash and livestock to sell to pay for the operating notes, the uh, accrued interest, and the payments that are coming up in this next 12 months. They didn't have enough to cover that. Overall, 40% were in the red, so that's that less than 10%. But on the flip side, I had 46% of the farms that are sitting in a good position. And if I even, so if I had a, a really good on the green, 17% um, of those farms are sitting with more than 80% of working capital gross revenue. So that means they really don't need an operating note for much of the year. They might need it for a few uh, weeks or a month to just do some cash flows, but they're not relying on their operating note at all. So, you know, almost 20% farm sitting in that position. Um, this is that same thought just on trended because I think it's interesting to see how that green has disappeared, right? So in 2011, 2012, 80% of the farms that we work with were sitting with gross revenues working capital gross revenues of at least 25% or better. Um, and that has dropped as we've added to how many of those operations are sitting in that dark red, less than zero uh, working capital. Um, so you can see that that, that that deteriorated quickly and we have not seen much improvement. You can see that like in 2017, we saw that middle shrink quite a bit um, and it's hard to know because one of the things that started happening a lot in 15, 16, 17 was refinancing of debt. So we were taking that current debt and putting it down into a long-term position, which would have improved working capital dramatically. Um, so it's hard to know in there how much of that influence was in there, where as we were trying to improve working capital um, and moving those operations back into the green, but yet we still have um, really that, that third of the farms that are sitting with a cash flow problem. And that's exactly what working capital gross, gross revenue is going to tell us is that they have a cash flow problem. Um, I often say that one of the things when I see a working capital gross revenue number of say um, less than 10%, I, I know when I get to that operation that there's going to be stress at that kitchen table, that they're going to feel this right? This is the, that they don't have enough money to pay their bills. This is that they're up against their operating note. This you can feel on a regular basis. And that's different than debt to asset where you don't always feel that. So this is the one that, that you can, it's kind of indicating what you can feel. The other analogy I like to use with this is any of these liquidity ratios, the, the working capital, working capital gross revenue or, or current ratio are kind of like, um, like your heart rate when monitoring that. If you um, you know, have a, a watch or a Fitbit or something that, that monitors that for you, you know that that goes up and down a lot throughout the day. Um, and these numbers will have that kind of variability where we can adjust things. Um, and when we get to debt to asset ratio, that's a little bit more like a cholesterol level where it takes a long time to make a move in that. So we'll see some variability in this, uh, but we still don't like to see that trend line 
uh, where we're seeing increasing red every year. Um, taking a look at total debt then, so that again, that working capital is only measuring the debt that's due in the next 12 months. So it's your operating note and any payments on term debt. Um, and so you can see that there we've had a, a pretty dramatic rise. Uh, if you go back to 2009, our average operation just had a little over 600,000 in debt. Now we've got 1.4 million in debt. Um, there's a lot of things that can contribute to that. Um, I could show you slides that show that it's every uh, category of debt that's increasing. So long-term or land debt is increasing, intermediate debt is increasing, current debt is increasing, personal debt is increasing. Um, we could look at this compared to um, crop acres, but that doesn't uh, you know, cover our livestock operations very well. So I did try um, to look at total debt as a function of gross income. So, um, so total debt divided by your gross revenue for the year. You can see that for up until 2012, 2013, we were running in that 80% range on average. So if you grossed a million, it was pretty common that you'd have $800,000 in debt. All right, since 2015, we've seen that average total debt exceed the, the annual gross revenues of an operation. Um, and I think, I think that's maybe um, being felt by the lending industry that we're just talking about so much more debt per operation than what we used to have. Uh, and that contributes to risk um, because if one of those, oper if that operation fails, it's no longer $600,000 of debt at risk. We're talking $1.4 million of debt at risk of being um, unpaid. The other thing to look at, way to look at debt is comparing that to assets. So we like to look at the debt to asset ratio. So that's total farm debt divided by total farm assets. This is another one that's important to be careful of when you're benchmarking, because some people will look at total debt and total assets, which is different than total farm debt and total farm assets. We're taking that personal stuff off the table and only looking at the farm. I don't know that either is right, but you need to know which one you're comparing to. Essentially your debt to asset ratio is telling you how much of the operation you own and how much of the operation the bank owns. Okay, so the higher that ratio is, the more the bank owns. We like to see that ideally less than 30, but when it gets to be above 60%, um, the risk to the operation starts to increase. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so this is our trend for debt to asset ratio. Again, I put that line in there at 30%. So you can kind of see anything under that is green. What's really a little bit concerning is that as we see that increase over the last seven, eight, nine years, um, as that debt to asset ratio has just continued to creep up. Again, this is that cholesterol level check where it, it takes a long time to make a, a significant move in that. But we also have to understand that as we slowly have creeped up, it's gonna take just as long to slowly creep that back down. We don't see dramatic decreases very often. I will point out that that decrease between 2010 and 2011 had to do with an asset value change. So we made a um, change to our balance sheets and how we valued land in that year. And that significantly changed this ratio. So that's another thing as you're benchmarking uh, that you need to understand is how those assets are valued to make sure that you're valuing them the same. All right, so same thought, <coughs> excuse me, on debt to asset ratio. Um, you can see the percentage of operations in each of those categories and how that's changed over the last 10 years. 
similar again, um, increase in the number of operations in the red um, and really seeing a lot of that change being squeezed out of the middle where those strong operations are continuing to stay in a pretty good position. Um, wanted to go back to income for just a second and um, look at this as net farm income as, a as how um, your debt to asset ratio compares to that. So uh, again, slicing net farm income, but now my columns are debt to asset ratio. So those that have less than 20% debt to asset ratio in Nebraska average about 134,000, um, which is a little bit better than the FinBin, um, but, but reasonably the same. And then uh, there is a little bit of a drop there in that 20 to 30 for Nebraska or the 20 to 40, which is kind of interesting. It would be, uh, you know, take a little bit to, to dig into that and see exactly what's going on there. Because um, what I would expect to see is the trend like you would see with FinBin. The higher that, that debt to asset ratio, the lower profitability is. And we just have that one little issue there. It's a little bit different. Um, but um, yeah, this is one of the reasons why it's so important to monitor that debt because as your debt goes up, your profitability tends to go down. Now there's a sweet spot in there, of course, where investing in the operation and growth um, take over. But when that goes too far, you can see how quickly when we hit that 60% mark, how quickly both the Nebraska and the FinBin numbers start to drop off. Uh, we get into those higher debt situations. We're spending more on interest um, and things just are not working um, as best as can be. So um, that's the importance of monitoring that debt to asset ratio, not just from the bank making sure that they can get their money back. Okay. So um, where does this take us for 2020? I, I spent a lot of time looking backwards and it's, it's, um, it's oftentimes e easy to look at the last two years, especially in Nebraska between 2019 and 2020 and, um, and think it, it could never, <laughs> can always say it can never get worse, right? And we thought that with 2019 and all the flooding and the snowstorms and everything that happened there. And then uh, of course, 2020 came and um, made that a completely different uh, story. One we'd almost maybe wish we could take back. Um, but what does 2020 look like? I'm expecting our average net farm income to be up, right? We have um, the, the CFAP payments that have been coming um, we, the PPP money um, that I know not every operation qualified for, <clears throat> um, but those that did, it was significant. Um, certainly had other stimulus things that again, op that affected different operations um, in different ways. And I think even though our average is going to be up, we're going to see that increased variability in 2020, right? Um, but I think in general, because of the things that have happened uh, because of COVID um, and because we're seeing some increase in prices now, 2020 is going to be okay. How do we plan for 2021? The same way we plan for every year, right? It's really, it's been a while. Um, and it was really only about a five year period in there where if you used um, reasonable yields and, and something reasonably ex for expected prices that it has looked like a good decision to, to go ahead and continue farming. And there's always things that happen, right? I mean, a cash flow that we put together today for 2021 is not going to be right. Let's hope that it's not as variable as 2020 was. Um, but when we go forward, the things that we, um, that are gonna be important are the things that are always important. We have to control costs. That's one thing that as an individual operation, we can control. 
of what we spend on our inputs, how much we spend for rent, maybe you know, uh, being able to have that information for your operation is going to be vitally important uh, because that's the only way that you're gonna be able to know. Cause you can take these average numbers, um, but we've, we've looked at why average is not uh, your operation, right? Cause we just don't know if your operations in that high third or low third in the middle where you know we've got lots of variability. So understanding where you're at, and uh, I put expect the unexpected on there. Um, uh, my family likes to watch Big Brother, so that's a uh, tagline from from that TV show. Um, but I think it applies to uh, pretty much everything right now that we have to be prepared for what we can't think of, um, whether it's a global pandemic um, or just a hailstorm or um, or trade issues. Um, we don't know what to expect, but by having your operation in a position where you know your numbers, you know what you can control and what you can't control and being diligent and disciplined to control those things that you can uh, is going to make a difference in, um, in where you fall in that. So I think we've got time for some questions um, and I know Glennis has got those. So welcome back, Glennis. Thank you. I always enjoy um, hearing from you and learning from you about what the Nebraska Farm Business um, information provides us. So thank you. We do have some questions. So I'm gonna um, take a look at those. And this was, these came in a little earlier, um, Tina. So does the net farm income include government payments that you talked about? Yes that is gonna include any government payments. It wouldn't include like a tax refund, but um, that is gonna include the MFP um, in 2020, we'll include the CFAPs and it will include um, PPP. And that's how we're going to handle that is, is that it's going to be um, included in income in 2020, even if your loan is not forgiven by the end of the year. Okay. We had another one. Does the def definition of farm include both tenants and landlord share or just the tenant share? And in, this person said interesting data and thank you. Yeah, so um, when we're looking at the, the data we're looking at, we're looking at it from the tenant perspective. Um, so we don't have, like when we look at cash rented ground, we're looking at the tenant's perspective. Um, what, there would be some information available um, on the FinBid site, not, not nearly as much from a, per, a landlord's perspective if we wanted to look at some rented out facilities. But what I looked at today was all tenant perspective. Okay. And the next one was, is the information on a percentile basis for each type, such as crop, beef, etc.? Yep. That's a good question. I, I meant for, forgot to answer that. So the way that's defined is um, an operation that must get at least 70% of their gross income from crops to be considered a crop operation um, or 70% of their gross income from beef. And so I, one of those that was like a crop and beef would be that neither one, that, that operation didn't get 70% from either crop or beef, but the two added together would be more than 70%. So that is a good question. That's how that's, to, that's uh, set. Okay, all right. Um, so we have another question here. In regard to living costs running 100,000 per year, you compared to someone working as an employee or other career earning 160,000 as a fair comparison. Can you explain that again? Yeah, so 
so basically what if what I was looking for was what kind of gross income would I need to get a net check of a hundred. And so I, you know, did some math to work backwards and I can, I have that slide in a different uh, presentation I could probably find. But um, when I looked at the income taxes that would have to be paid on uh, $160,000 of income um, and I used a thousand dollars a month for um, mortgage, whether that's mortgage or uh, principal payments of any kind. So, you know, that's $12,000 going to principal. And then I used a, um, I think it was 10% going to, uh, or 5% going to retirement. Um, so that I just calculated what a typical wage would look like in order to get to $100,000 net. So hopefully that answers that question. Okay, yep. So, and I kind of wondered about this too, because uh, we actually have a poultry operation, um, you know, in our, in our family too. But with the increase in poultry operations in Nebraska, are you seeing enough crop slash poultry operations to see what value the diversity to poultry may be bringing to an operation? We've got um, probably um, somewhere around 10 operations uh, that we work with that are doing some sort of poultry, but they're just getting started to the point where I don't have enough data um, to give any information on that. Um, but hopefully in the next year or two, we will have some of that. And I was thinking in terms of the, when you were presenting, oh, some of the, um, you know, as debt to asset ratios and so mm -hmm. on too, because there's a lot of debt taking on sometimes with those operations, you know, sort of high, sort of guarantee or whatever income level. So obviously some of those debt to asset ratios are gonna be a little skewed with some of those operations too. Right, right. And, and then maybe another thing I probably should have mentioned, and again, it's hard to, to think through everything, but okay. on an individual basis, the what I would want to see is to watch that trend line of your debt to asset ratio and where that's going at any ratio. I wanna see your individual trend because it tells the story of, of what's happening there. So. Um, it can be exactly the same with a, a beginning farmer. I'm going to expect a young beginning farmer to have a plus 80% debt to asset ratio. They have no assets. Um, and so when they buy those assets, even with a small down payment, they're going to have a high debt to asset ratio. Uh, um, that's why FSA steps in on a lot of those and guarantees those things because they're a high risk loan. Um, but what's most important is to watch that trend, whether even if you start at 85, that the trend goes to 84 and to 83 and to 82 rather than being at 82 and creeping up. So I think um, on any of your, um, any trend line, you're, from your operations perspective, is you just wanna make sure you're trending in the right direction. Okay, uh, we have another one here. The operations that show up in your lower returns are paying to learn this information from you. How well do they react to what you show them and do they normally make changes to manage their way up the scale or do they normally fail or drop out of the program? Um, you know, there's a, a, I mean, it's again, another diverse group, um, but we have a lot of people who, if we can um, help them understand this information, um, we can help them make those changes and decisions. Most of the operations included in our averages are consistent year after year. So we don't see a lot of, um, dropping in and mostly because we really feel the importance of that analysis really comes in that trend. And so it's important to watch the trend. So it's kind of like, um, like doing the analysis just once is kind of like going and getting your vitals taken and that's it. 
right? But the reality is the reason why the doctors take your vitals every time you go to see them is because it tells them things. And so um, maybe it's a, a, a red flag. Maybe you're just nervous. And that's why your blood pressure is up. Um, but those are the kinds of things that once you have that information and you know um, how uh, those play into your decision-making, um, it can make a big difference, but it does take discipline. Um, and it takes more than looking at this once a year. Um, and it takes uh, using that information and, and it's certainly an individual choice. And there's lots of interest in what you talked about. We have another question. Um, seeing as interest rates are very low, would now be a good time to take advantage of that and take on more long-term debt? Well, again, I think that's a, a, a decision that has to be made on an individual basis. Because again, just taking on more debt because it's cheap doesn't, doesn't do you much, right? Um, maybe it's a good time if you have high interest loans, um, getting that refinanced into a low position might be a good choice. Um, buying stuff just for the sake of borrowing money at cheap rates doesn't necessarily make sense or, or term out well. So, um, so again, it just depends on, on where that operation's at and what the goals are, you know, cause again, not every, every operation's goal is to be growing. And so, um, you know, in that case, maybe it's time to refinance and get that debt paid down faster. Here's another one. I saw in your data book, the higher one third profitability farms are younger than the lower one third. Any comment on how age plays a role in profitability? Yeah, we actually, um, so a couple pages in that book will also give you a comparison by age. So you can kind of see how that breaks down. Um, so our, our lowest two categories would be those that are less than 31 and those that are over 60. Um, and again, it's hard to say um, that those over 60 are actively, you know, you know, searching for more ground, trying to grow. Are they trying to transfer up, you know, income to that 30 to 41 or 40 age grade age group? Um, there's lots of things that could come into that. So I think it would take a little bit deeper dive into understanding um, why those older operations maybe aren't making as much money, but it might be because they're pulling down in size um, and, and just aren't, uh, as active as they used to be because of their goals. Okay. Um, another question, how representative is the sample you work with compared to all Nebraska farms? That is, do you think the top and bottom one third of all Nebraska farmers follow the same numbers or at least the same trends? Uh, and that's one, of, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to go pull that FinBin data group um, just because that's a, such a larger group of operations and, and that's covering 10 or 12 different states. Um, so I think the more that we, that that same trend follows the FinBin, I think the more accurate that information is. There's always an argument that these producers are paying a fee to have this information. So they care uh, enough to pay for that. Um, so it makes you think uh, that maybe that's um, a different level of, of uh profitability, but you can see uh, when we look at that low profit third that there are operations that we work with that that don't do, um, that aren't doing as well. Um, are there operations that we don't work with that do well? I'm sure. I mean, I know there's good producers out there that I don't work with. Um, so it's hard to say uh, when I talk to lenders, a lot of times they feel like maybe the, oper the data that we have is a, is a little bit better than what they work with. Um, but again, their data sample is going to be missing that top group that doesn't need 
lending that we work with as well. So, um, you know, it's hard to say, but I think uh, we cover the, the state in a fairly representative way. Um, I would love to have more livestock um, information in, to include in the data because we are crop heavy, but I think that's probably also um, representative of the state is that there's a lot of crops out there. Um, so, uh, you know, it gets hard to say, but I think if anything, we're maybe on the on above average um, because they care enough to, to participate in the program. And we don't have a lot of operations that are small uh, because at that point it doesn't make sense to, to pay for the analysis. So this is, these are full-time um, active producers. Okay, we just have a couple minutes left and I, uh, as far as questions go, I know, um, Tina, you do tax work for a number of your members and clients. Um, and I know in an earlier conversation, you said something about how where there's been, there'll be a lot of things to be aware of with the CARES Act this year. So just making a couple quick comments about that before we close here today. Yeah, you know, there's, I mean, tax planning is going to be more important than ever. Um, and I, I swear I say that every year, but I, it's, it's really probably you know, the one thing that you can do in a couple hours that would really impact the, the uh, financial health of your, your business. But, um, you know, we need to be careful of, of again, that mentioning that PPP loan program because uh, the timing of when that's going to be forgiven is going to impact your tax return. Um, because I, the IRS's position right now is that any expenses that you used to get that forgiveness are not going to be deductible. So even though Congress said that that was a non-taxable um, deal or not taxable income, IRS has said you don't get a deduction for that. So that's the position that we're in right now. Unless Congress acts to change that, there is um, uh, interest in, in that, I think, an agreement in that if they can agree on anything else. So that's something to pay attention to. Um, we've got additional income, again, from the CFAP programs. Um, you know, the, the livestock or the, the grants that were available through the state of Nebraska, lots of, of unusual income uh, that we want to pay attention to. And now we've got prices rising. So um, lots of things to think about as you're making those sales decisions um, and, and being aware of where that taxable income is. So yeah, there's just lots going on. It's going to be very variable per operation. So it's going to be really important that you uh, see your tax advisor and, and uh, find out where you're at. Okay. Thank you so much, Tina, and thank you everyone for joining us today. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.